When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. My name is Jeff Dyer and I'm the editor of The Big Read. Uh, we're talking about a fascinating piece this week by Guy Chazan, our Berlin bureau chief, on how Germany is in a panic about the inroads that China and its companies are making to Europe's biggest economy. I'm joined down the line to discuss this by Guy Chazan, and also in the studio here with James King, a former Beijing bureau chief for the FT, who's now based in London, where he writes a lot about China's growing influence around the world. Guy, if I can start with you first. Why is this becoming an issue now in Germany? Why are the Germans uh, getting so upset about Chinese investment? Because until recently, they'd really prided themselves on having a very good relationship with the Chinese. You can remember, even back as 2014, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang brought the entire cabinet to Berlin for a, a summit meeting with the Germans. So why have they soured quite so much so recently? I think what happened was around about 2016, the Germans suddenly began to really panic about the extraordinary level uh, of M&A activity in Germany that was being uh, powered by Chinese investment. I think the straw that broke the camel's back was this extraordinary deal by a relatively small Chinese appliance maker called Medea, which bought KUKA, a very, very important German producer of industrial robots, for about four and a half billion euros. Now, that was extraordinary at the time because it was just seen as this emblem, in a way, of Germany's technological prowess and its leadership in engineering. And here was a Chinese company coming in and buying the whole thing. And that set alarm bells ringing in Germany. Very, very soon after that, they toughened the law on foreign investment to try and uh, give the government more powers to intervene in deals like this. And you also write in your piece a lot about how the recent investment by a Chinese company called Geely in Daimler has caused a lot of anxiety. Why is that so sensitive? Well, there's various reasons for that. One of them is the way they did it. They did it in a rather sneaky way. It's all above board and they didn't break any rules, but Germany has very strict disclosure rules on foreign investors coming in and buying chunks of their companies. And the way that Geely engineered this deal, basically using lots of financial derivatives and options, they basically got round those rules. And that infuriated the German government, as well as Daimler, which just like woke up one morning to discover that their largest <coughs> shareholder was a Chinese car maker called Geely. So there's been a lot of angst about this, a lot of hand-wringing. But ultimately, the German government said, well, we're not happy about this, but there's absolutely nothing we can do. As one official I spoke to said to me, I can hardly say to Li Shufu, the owner of Geely, you've got to give it back. I can't do that. But all I can do is say to him, watch it. Surely there's another side to this, though. I mean, if you're Daimler, you must see the Chinese car market is already the biggest car market in the world. It's only going to get a lot bigger. So it's going to be a huge part of Daimler's business for the coming decades. Isn't that a good thing for a company like Daimler to have an important Chinese shareholder? 
Well, it's all a bit awkward, really, because they already have relationships with uh, Chinese car makers to state-owned ones. And they have the sort of joint ventures with them and they have production facilities in China. So this could actually somewhat complicate things for them. The fact that they now have this big shareholder who's actually a, a completely private company. But it is true, as one official we talked to for the piece said, the future is China. So all German cars are going to have to become a little bit Chinese in the future if they want to have any kind of prospects of thriving uh, in the global market, which is going to be increasingly dominated by China. James, if I could turn this to you for a second. One of the reasons why so many of these uh, Chinese investments are becoming so controversial is that there is this fear that behind the acquiring company is somehow the Chinese state, there's some kind of industrial policy here, that it's a, a national strategy, it's not just a commercial investment. And yet the company in this case, Geely, is ostensibly a private Chinese company. So should foreigners, should countries like Germany or elsewhere, should we see companies like Geely as in some way a threat or in some way not playing by the normal rules of international commerce? Okay, so there's a couple of things going on here. The first thing is that China does indeed have a very clear industrial plan called Made in China 2025, which is aimed at substituting imports, so therefore foreign goods being sold to China, with indigenously developed and indigenously made technologies and products. So there is this very clear plan. Then it is also the case that Chinese state-owned enterprises and private companies are going around the world and buying up as much technology as they can, as many brands as they can, and taking them back to China. So there is a state design at the highest level behind all of these individual decisions, but it's very difficult to create a kind of cause and effect. For state companies that are clearly owned by the state, I think you could attribute some of their actions to directives from Beijing. But for a company like Geely, it becomes much more difficult. This is a private company. Is it acting in its own interests? Is it acting in its own interests and trying to further the state's Made in China 2025 industrial policy? You know, these things are just vague, and I don't think they'll ever be really clear. And, and so this sort of anxiety that guys talk about in Germany about the fear that companies and the government now has about Chinese investment coming in so strongly into their country. Is this just a German phenomenon or is this something we're seeing much more broadly in the Western world these days? It's, it's very interesting the way this topic has become really a major topic now. And I would say even six months ago, although the topic was there and people were interested, it wasn't something that was absolutely grabbing the corridors of power in you know large Western countries like Germany as it is now. So the situation is now that in the States, there is a body called CFIUS, which does investment reviews. It's a government body and it's blocked several deals, not only from China, but elsewhere in the world. There is a proposal, a bipartisan bill, to beef up the capacities of CFIUS that would allow it to scrutinize many more deals than it has in the past. So that, I think, is evidence of a growing nervousness about overseas M&A in the US. 
In the EU, there's another process underway, and that has been led by Jean-Claude Juncker, the president of the European Commission. It started out as a pretty decisive attempt to try to increase European oversight over M&A deals of European companies. And it started out as an attempt to get a veto power for the EU over deals that were being made. But it's now, subsequently, it's been watered down a lot. And it's now at the stage of merely giving the EU powers to request information about the foreign acquirers of EU companies. So there's that underway too. In Germany, Guy has already mentioned what's happening. There's There's been an attempt in the UK to try to create a stronger review panel for overseas investments coming through. In Japan, there already is a long-standing review process, which even by the admission of the Japanese government is opaque. And that has blocked several incoming M&A deals as well. So I think if we look around the Western world, what we can see for sure is that the tide of nervousness about particularly Chinese M&A is growing and the backlash towards it is also growing, though at different speeds and with different intensities. Guy, if I could bring it back to you for a second, you talk a bit more broadly about what this means for German foreign policy, because Germany has, until recently, sort of prided itself as something of a, a bridge between Europe and China, that there's very pragmatic, effective relationship with the Chinese. Is that now at risk? Well, I think it is at risk, but it's not just because of Chinese investment. There's a lot of factors at play. One of them is the sort of real suspicion of Chinese intentions when it comes to this 16 plus one group, which involves 16 central and eastern European countries, 11 of which are actually members of the EU. There's a sense that China is playing divide and rule there and that they're actually influencing those countries in ways that could have political implications for their fellow members of the EU. And that terrifies the Germans because they're very, very incentivized to sort of keep the EU united. And they're very worried at the moment about these fissures that are appearing between the sort of core EU countries and big Eastern European countries like Poland and Hungary. So this will only sort of exacerbate those tensions. There's also concern about China's Belt and Road Initiative, how that's being used to increase political influence in certain countries. There's just this sense that China is kind of using its economic muscle to kind of wield political influence, which could present a danger to Germany's own national interests and the interests of the EU. And, and that really spooks the Germans. James, finally, just how do you think this is going to play out? I mean, you talked about how there's a growing backlash really across the Western world against Chinese investment. How are the Chinese going to react to this as they see themselves being denied entry into lots of Western markets? I think the big problem that China has is that Western markets are far more open to Chinese inward investment, including M&A, uh, mergers and acquisitions, than the Chinese market is to Western companies. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's crystal clear. When China joined the WTO in uh, 2001, it kept ownership caps for foreign interests in various different sectors. So, uh, for instance, the car sector is capped 
at 49%. A foreign company can own 49% of a Chinese car company, but no more. Whereas a Chinese car company can come over to Europe and buy 100%. That's just one small example. It's the same for almost every sector. And several sectors in China, for instance, media, education, uh, and several others, are completely closed to foreign interests. So China is in a problem here. More and more, what we're hearing from Western countries, the US in particular, is that China needs to institute a principle of reciprocity in investment access. And so I think it's tough to know how this is going to play out. But it seems to me quite likely that we'll see a number of things. First of all, we'll see China fighting quite hard for its interests in a trade war, which is a separate issue from this investment access issue. But on the investment front, I think we may see the Chinese soften in some key areas that they've already hinted at, particularly in financial services. And I think what we're going to see this year is China loosening its investment hurdles for foreign companies in financial services as as one way of offsetting or neutralizing some of the acrimony that's growing in the West towards China. Thank you to Guy Chazen in Berlin and James King here in the studio in London. Thank you for listening to the FT Big Read. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on all the usual apps. FT Big Read is produced this week by Joshua Oliver.